Amen. You may be seated. My name is Jason. I serve as one of the elders here at Church in the Square. Would you please open up your Bibles, meet me in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 will be in verses 6 through 8 today. Romans 5, 6 through 8. Either type it into your device or uh, the New Testament, the right side of the Bible begins Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you hit Acts and Romans. If you get to 1 and 2 Corinthians, go back to the left. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. We are in a portion in Paul's letter that he is writing to the first century church there in Rome where he has spoken about justification by faith. In other words, that you have been made righteous by simply trusting and believing and, and knowing in Jesus through the work that he has accomplished for us. And, and yet it's more than just your salvation is what Paul then shifts here in chapter 5 to tell us. It's not just that you are no longer dead but alive or that you were destined for separation from God and now you have peace with God. But he says this peace with God is meant to change the way you understand your life today. Not just your future but, but your reality today. And in, and in particular, he says what, how we can live differently is that we can boast, we can rejoice, we can celebrate in hope and in suffering. In hope and in suffering. There, there's... Uh, that's what we've been looking at here in chapter 5, coming from the first few chapters of understanding justification or how we have been made righteous. And now what Paul begins to do is expose even deeper roots to where this peace and this rejoicing comes from. Because I think it's incredibly helpful that we don't just hear, you're supposed to rejoice and you're supposed to boast in Christ, but here's why. Here's what's underneath that. Here's what he has accomplished for you. Here's who he is. Is. And so Paul is going to help us understand that even more fully. He's going to give us uh, a richer understanding, a deeper reason, and further evidence, if you will, for what it means for us to live as people who have been saved. Not just to wait our salvation one day, but to live as people today. Are you tracking with me? Who are, who are actually saved, redeemed, forgiven. And the way that he is going to do that, specifically and simply, he's simply going to tell his readers, you are loved by God. You are loved by God by God. So church in the square, my brothers and sisters, you are loved by God. Now, why would God's love be so important to bring up in this particular portion of the letter? Well, isn't it true? We've been looking at hope. We've been looking at suffering. Isn't it true that when hope seems far and suffering seems close, we doubt the love of God? We doubt his love when we cannot taste and see the hope that he is provided for us, afforded to us through Christ. And when suffering is close, when suffering is our experience, we doubt his love. We question whether or not God is truly with us, that he cares for us. Isn't it true? This is perhaps the most basic Christian doctrine, and it is the most neglected Christian doctrine. You can't get more elemental or more basic, can we, than God loves you through the work of Christ, and yet it's something that we daily Forget, but it is in this, in this particular passage, that I think what Paul is going to help us see is that beyond a shadow of a doubt, beyond any logic or reason that would teach us the contrary, God loves you. He loves you, and because of his love, you can boast in hope, and you can boast in suffering. So today I want to talk to you about God's love, and we're going to do that in three different uh, movements, if you will. First, we're going to look at God's love is for sinners. God's love is about God. And that God's love is right on time. 
God's love is for sinners. God's love is about God, and God's love is right on time. With that being said, hear these words. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the word of the Lord. And we say thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your help this morning. We need your help uh, from our two-year-old consciousness to our 92-year-old minds to understand how wide and beautiful and majestic and unrelenting is your affection for your people in Christ. And so help us today crush lies in our hearts and minds that you don't love us. Reveal truth and the reality of the depth of your affection for us. Expose voices that often whisper to us even this week about why we are not loved, about why you don't care for us, about how you remember everyone else, but you've neglected us. God, forgive us for our unbelief. Help us in our unbelief. And would you help us not by making us feel better, but by shaping our hearts through your word today so that we'd have a rich truth and understanding that your love is actually built on truth. Your love is revealed in your word. And so help us to believe it by the power of your spirit today, we ask in Jesus' name. Everybody agreed and said, amen. Believe it or not, uh, Paul gets kind of a bad rap for writing Romans, that there's a lot in here about God's wrath and our sin. But it seems to me that when we look back through where we've tracked in Romans, Paul has been thinking about love a lot. In fact, at the very beginning of Romans, the way he addresses his readers is he says, those in Rome who are loved by God. This is how he opens up this letter. And in fact, just last week, we looked at the love of God when it says that God's love was poured into our hearts. So according to Paul, according to Romans, that they are, and you and I are in Christ, loved by God, and God's love is in us. So you are loved by God, that's chapter 1, and God's love is inside of you, that's chapter 5. And Paul is going to focus our attention then on God's love, but he is going to focus our attention on love through the lens of your unloveliness and on my unloveliness. In other words, he's going to tell us that God loves you and you don't deserve it. We don't like thinking about things we don't deserve, right? In fact, we try to neglect that regularly. I, I like to focus, we like to focus on the things perhaps that we do deserve, especially something like love. See, we are much more prone to consider love as something to which we are inherently worthy, and we're not wrong. But it's important that we are clear about the type of love that Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 5, so that we fully understand his point, so we fully understand what he is saying. So, every human being is worthy of love because they are made in the image of God. As Christians, then, when we speak of our inborn worthiness and of dignity, we're not talking about some ethereal, humanistic idea of humanity. We are talking about the image of God that has been stamped upon his prized creation from the very beginning of the story. Genesis chapter 1. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So in a very real sense, Every human being is worthy of love, not because we say so, but because they have been made in the image of God, because God's word 
says so. And, and isn't it true over the past number of years, especially as it relates to diversity and violence and injustice, there's been a lot of conversations about dignity. And for the Christian, where we go to understand dignity is not what a collective society deems to be dignifying or worthy, but what God's word says. It's actually more beautiful than you think it could be. It's more powerful, more true, more robust. It's that you have been made, that we have been made in the very image of God. However, this is actually not the type of love that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 5. Paul is going to focus on an aspect of God's love which is bestowed upon us, not because of the image of God, but rather because of our moral frailty, our moral fragility. Not because of our inherent power, in other words, but because of our inherent weakness. Look again, Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for one would, will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. First, notice that God is showing his love. He's not just saying it. He's showing it. And this is what Paul has been writing about. But he is focusing on the love of God through the lens of our unloveliness. Paul describes those whom God loved in a, in a few ways that we don't often like to be described. He says they are weak, they are ungodly, and they are sinners. And if we read into verse 10, we would also find out that they are enemies of God. So the weak, the ungodly, the sinners, and enemies of God. So there is a very real sense that we are loved by God because of our nature. But there is also a very real sense that we are loved by God because of our need. We are loved by God because of our nature. He created us in his, in his image. But we are loved by God in response to our needs. See, God's love is for sinners. That means in order to fully grasp God's affection for you and me, we must not simply know our belovedness in the image of God, but also our brokenness as cosmic rebels. Paul is inviting his readers, and you and I in particular today, to look at the love of God through the lens of our unloveliness. Why? Because the more we understand our weakness, the more we understand that we too are ungodly, the more we understand our sinfulness, the more we understand God's love for us that he has shown us through Christ. God's love is for sinners. But remember, Paul's focus is on God's love, not, not, his, uh, not our unloveliness. See, so we should be very, very careful to not be preoccupied as we often can prone to be with our sin, but rather with the one who loves us in our sin. See, our weakness and ungodliness is the lens through which the nature of God or the spectacular character and affection of God is revealed to us. This leads Paul to a comparison. Look at verse 7. Now, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. So Paul paints this picture, and he paints this sort of hypothetical scenario. That if there is someone who is good out there, maybe somebody would die for them. It's hard to find that person, but surely someone who is good would die for someone who is good. And, and we know this to be true. Think about the stories perhaps that you know in your life. Think about stories recorded in history, in film, in books. A steady narrative throughout literature and storytelling is a person dying in the place of another. Good people do indeed die for good people. That's what Paul is saying. It's hard to find that person but you can find them. However, that's not the kind of love that God has demonstrated to us. Look at verse 8. 
But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love through the lens of our unloveliness. See, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, died for sinners. A good person died for evil people. Now, why is this distinction so important? Well, we expect good people to die for good people. We do not expect a good person to die for evil people. This is something we can't even fathom. In fact, in our particular cultural moment, we get uncomfortable when good people talk to evil people, when they get close to them, when they follow them on social media. We get kind of nervous when there's that close proximity. And what we are being told here about the gospel, the nature of the love of God, is that we have a good person, Jesus Christ, who is goodness in the flesh, who dies for the evil, the ungodly, the sinner, the unlovely. See, God's love is about God. See, we, we, don't, we don't believe that it's really even a very good investment or a good idea to die for an evil person or somebody who is not aware of their need in the way that they ought to be. Why? Because they'll mess it up. They're, they're not worthy of that kind of redemptive work. The, the only thing we believe that an evil person is worthy of is whatever consequence they get for their evilness, right? But God's love is about God. Let's not get caught up in the lens, but let's consider this love. What does this kind of love reveal to us about God himself? That God's love is about God and not about us. See, though God's love reveals a great deal about us, it shows us a lot about ourselves, it shows us even more about who God is. It reveals this infinite reality of his affection for broken, sinful, and ungodly people like me and like you. God's love is about God. And Jesus loved talking about this. He loved talking about this counterintuitive kind of affection that God has. And he loved to tell stories about love that revealed that God's love is about love. In fact, in Luke chapter 15, he tells three stories in a row. He told three stories with the same point, that God's love is about God. Consequently, they're stories that we often think is about something else or someone else, but it's actually about God. Luke chapter 15 tells three stories. He told about a shepherd who lost a sheep. He talked about a woman who lost a coin. He talked about a father who lost a son. A shepherd who lost a sheep, a woman who lost a coin, a father who lost a son. Each parable tells us the exact same thing that God's love is about God. You see, yes, a sheep was lost, and likely because of their own silliness and their own foolishness. A coin was lost, just sort of happenstance. This is the reality. A son was lost by his own volition. He wanted his father's inheritance early and then spent it all on lascivious living in the far-off country. And often we stop there, and we think, oh, that, that sheep's like me. Oh, that lost coin's like me. Oh, that son's like me. And we think a lot about who? Me. But God's love is about God. It's, it's actually not about that sheep. It's actually not about that coin. It's actually not about that son. See, this is the lens through which we need to see all of this. You see, the shepherd started searching, and the woman sought diligently, and the father ran towards his son. And then they all rejoiced when they found what had been lost. In other words, each story tells us God shows his love for us when? While we 
were still sinners. While we are wandering, while we are lost, while we are squandering, this tells us so much more about God than it tells us about a sheep, about a coin, about a son, about you, or about me. It says that God's love is sacrificial. God's love is particular. God's love is generous. God's love is faithful. God's love is powerful. It's unmerited. It's active. It is without condition. God's love is about God. Church in the square, this is really good news. It is such good news that God's love is about him and not about me and not about you. See, if God's love, this is so, don't miss this. If God's love is for sinners, if God's love is about God, then there is nothing you could do to lose that love because there's nothing you did to earn it. If God's love is for sinners who are ungodly, who are lost, who are bankrupt, if God's love is ultimately about him, then the way you have been saved is the way you will be kept by grace. Let that settle. Let that comfort you. Let that correct the lies that were whispered in your head and in your heart this past week. Let God settle your weary soul that you are unworthy of his affection because through Christ he says that you are. There is nothing you can do to lose the love of God in Christ because there was nothing you did to earn it. Paul focuses our attention on God's love through our ungodliness, but let's be careful. God doesn't love us because of our sin. He hates sin. Sin ruins and ravages everything that God loves. He does not love sin. Rather, what does the text say? Look again, put your eyes back on verse 6 and verse 8. It says, while we were still weak, while we were still sinners. God does not love us because we are sinners. Rather, he loves us while we are sinners. Not because we sin, but rather when we sin. This is why Paul says, look again at verse 6, that for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God's love then is for sinners. God's love is about God. And God's love is right on time. In other words, God's love came to you and it came to me exactly when we needed it the most. That's the idea of God's love being right on time or at the right time. And it means a couple of things. First, it means that before the foundation of the world, before creation, God made a plan that he providentially executed within history. In other words, the right time for Christ to die was when God said it was the right time for Christ to die. So it was the right time, not because all of the elements were just perfectly at play that he was like, all right, now. It was the right time because that's what he providentially decided would be the right time. The death of Christ then was not an afterthought, but the exact way and moment that God always intended to deal with sin. That's the first thing that it means that his love is right on time. Secondly, it means that the death of Christ took place not when humanity was about to get its act together. We weren't just about to turn the corner. Are you with me? That God's love is extended to humanity, as the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians, when you were dead in your trespasses and sin. We were not about to start obeying. He didn't see a ton of potential in us and go, Holy Spirit, Son of God, I really feel like they're going to turn this thing around. This is a good time to step in. We were not about to start being good. We were not about to be start being deserving. We were dead. 
and God's love was right on time. When we needed it the most, when we could help ourselves the least, when we had no way to save ourselves. Hear this good news. While we were weak, Jesus Christ, the omnipotent one, died in your place and for your sins. While we were ungodly, Jesus Christ, God the Son in the flesh, died in our place and for our sins. While we were sinners, Jesus Christ, the sinless one, died in our place and for our sins. While we were dead, Jesus Christ, life himself, died in our place and for our sins. While all of this was true, God showed his love for us through Jesus Christ, his Son. Do you see, this is the lens of our unloveliness. Through this lens, we see the brilliance of God's love for us. Though at first it may be hard to accept that this kind of love is really what the Apostle Paul is writing about, I'm willing to wager this is the only kind of love you actually trust. Think about it. This is the only kind of love you really trust. The type of love that comes in the middle of devastating truth. In other words, when you're fully known, in our weakness, without makeup, on our bad days, at our worst, when we are still broken, when we're messy, when we're seen defeated and needed, and we are still loved, that's the kind of love I want. I don't want the kind of love that I've just got to keep my act together. And the moment some sin or ungodliness or brokenness or weakness leaks out, that the whole thing is ruined. See, we convinced ourselves that we want to be loved based on our merit, on who we are and what we can do. But church, you don't want that kind of love. My my, my sister, my brother, you don't want that kind of love. That love will crush you. It will cripple you. In fact, it is crushing you. It is killing you when you wake up and you think, I better not do anything wrong today. I I better get everything done today. I better please everybody today. I better please God today. You don't want that kind of love. And the good news is God isn't offering you that kind of love. He's not offering you a kind of love that is contingent on your performance, on your behavior, on the warm fuzzies in your heart, or the right thoughts in your mind. He is offering you a kind of affection built, anchored forever and eternally on grace on the merits of Christ, on the beauty of Christ, on the power of Christ, on the strength of Christ, on the knowledge of Christ, on the righteousness of Christ, on the love of Christ. It's on Christ. How good is that news? I don't know about you, but that's the type of love I want. In fact, I hear this all the time. In premarital counseling sessions when I ask, why do you want to marry this person? It's awkward at first. Why do you want to marry this person? And almost as often as I ask it, the response is the same because they've seen me at my worst and they still love me. They have seen me at my worst and they still love me. My sisters and my brothers, that's gospel love. You see, when we think we want to be loved based on our merits because of what we do or what we have done or what we possess, who we are, we will never rest. We will always be weary, and it will always lead to more sin. You don't want that kind of love. That's the type of love you can lose as quickly as you earn it. The type of love your heart desires and that you instinctively trust to be true is the type of love that comes through the lens of your unloveliness, that sees you as you are and loves you completely. That's the way God in Christ loves you. See, God's love is for sinners. 
God's love is about God, and God's love is right on time. There is nothing you can do to lose this love because there was nothing you did to earn it in the first place. God's love is for sinners, so confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you. God's love is about God, so worship him in spirit and in truth. God's love is right on time, so we ought to trust him and lean not on our own understanding. So Heavenly Father, help us to trust Help us to believe. Help us to be anchored today in the kind of affection that cannot be lost because it was given to us by grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.